Hello and welcome to the Form of Fitness podcast, a podcast where I, Nathan Shanes, and my co-host Duncan Bryson will be breaking down the world of fitness into bite-sized pieces of information, such as exercise philosophies, routines, and more. We're glad you're along for the journey. We hope you enjoy the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Form of Fitness podcast. This is episode 14. I'm joined by Duncan once more, and you're going to be uh, guiding us through uh, some fad diets today. Yeah, so I decided that it's probably a good time to go through fad diets because we got through New Year's, we're into January. I feel like a lot of people are either contemplating their New Year's resolution mm-hmm. or they're kind of forming some last-minute ideas of what you want to get out of this year. And for a lot of people, that is losing weight. Yeah. Um, I think that there is something to be said about wanting to maintain your weight or gain weight as well. But losing weight seems to be the big thing that everyone cares about in America. And there seems to be at least 10 different fad diets that come out every month on my YouTube uh, for you page. Yeah. And I'm getting sick of them. (laughs) Yeah. I'd say definitely as far as like, here's the funny part about how like, New Year's resolutions and these fad diets really have to do is from a marketing standpoint, you sit here and say, how can I sell someone less for more? Yeah. And bam, you wind up with half of these diets where you've got to buy some explicit, you know, substance to keep you on track somehow. You know, you look, scroll through uh, Amazon in the section of like uh, weight loss supplements and you'll mm-hmm. see how these companies are making money. They have little to no product that somehow magically makes weight fall off of you, uh, <clears throat> Weight Watchers. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's just one of those things. It's like, so these companies, uh, some of them we might we might skim on, but most times that's not what you're talking about when you're talking about fad dieting. But they're going to sell you on something that is, you know, magic, right? <laughs> and, you know, what they'll explain it to you is it's not for someone that's very fitness-oriented. These products are not made for people that are, hitting the gym, have at least like some basic understanding because they always tell you, you can kind of like eat whatever you want Mm -hmm. and still lose weight. Isn't that great? Yeah. Like B shred is one of the biggest examples of this. And I think that there's a big, um, almost necessity for this buyer beware concept, especially with fad diets, because a lot of these individuals are on PEDs. Yeah. Um, I think of, uh, like Chris Hemsworth with Thor and then yeah. having his own fitness and performance line. He's like, turn out like Thor. I'm sorry, but Chris is probably at least on some on TRT. Some maybe. TRT. Um, he's way too old to be gaining muscle. Um, yeah. He's probably also on peptides because that seems to be pretty common in yeah. um, actors at this point in time. And so a lot of these things, you do have to understand that even if this diet works, I'm not going to look like that. Yeah. Without some serious training in the gym yeah. or PED use. Yeah. And I think the liver King, uh, him, like them having that whole situation happen. And that was late December, right. Or mm-hmm. middle December. Yep. It might've been earlier than that. Actually. It's probably been a while now, but with that happening, like, and now people are trying to, you know, essentially come back and say, Oh, well I thought that the whole diet was about looking like liver King. Liver King never said that, but now there's lawsuits out. For a hundred million dollars against his companies for people like thinking that they were going to turn out like liver King by taking the supplements that his companies sell. Um, And so it's, you know, it's again, it's beware, be, see who has vetted interest kind of like obviously take in the information, Mm -hmm. figure out 
first off, decide whether or not it even makes sense. Because there's some diets where you'll hear what they're saying and you're like, that doesn't even make logical sense surface level. So either I need to dive deeper because there's something fundamentally I don't understand or they're just straight lying to me and they're trying to get people that are, you know, unaware, you know, just not very informed to buy into some product. And so I think that that's one of the biggest purposes of this exact episode is to mm -hmm. give you a base level of understanding on basic rules of nutrition, basic right. rules of dieting. So you can at least try and um, apply the sniff test at all these fad diets that are being thrown your way in order for you to understand maybe this has some merit, maybe this doesn't, maybe this has um, some actual things that I want to implement in my diet, but understand that some things are just snake oil. One of my favorite examples of this is um, O2, which is an oxygenated uh, recovery drink. And I drink that stuff. I love it. I guarantee you that the O2 being dispersed into the water is bullshit. <laughs> it's their marketing tactic that puts them over Gatorade in the um, consumer's eye when really what you're buying is a low sugar um, drink that's still got most of your micronutrients that you need that right. you're pouring out of with sweat. And so we can just go straight into, there's basically one yep. rule of dieting and losing weight. And that is calories in has to be less than calories out. Um, and usually you're going to hear the term of a caloric deficit, you know, and it's very important to understand that your caloric expenditure is basically comprised of a basal metabolic rate, which is the amount of calories that you exert just sitting around. Yes, you do exert calories just constantly. Your brain requires a lot of calories to function. Um, your muscles yep. require calories to hold you up correctly. You know, there's just a lot of functions that your body's constantly having to do in order to make sure that you are alive by the end of the day. And then there's also calories exerted due to activity. And so that's when you have people going out on runs. You have people going and lifting weights. You have people going and um, just on long walks. You yep. know, anything that you do expense calories um there is something to be said about weight training growing muscle and then that also affects your basal metabolic rate because all of a sudden you have more muscle that your body has to maintain and so that's kind of where you hear some of these you don't stop doing cardio to lose weight instead lift that's because if you lift you're kind of hitting two different sides of that calorie um calorie burning usage. yeah and calorie usage um and so inversely, if you want to gain weight, you do need to be in a surplus. Um, of course, understand that when you're talking about surpluses and deficits, there's actually a um, certain amount of calories that you want to stay within. You know, if you're cutting, you don't want to cut much more than about 250 calories. Yeah. Um, because more than 250 calories is going to mean that you're losing more than one pound a week for men. Yeah. Um, Usually, even losing something like one pound a week, even if you have your protein intake in like top notch and you're still working out, you're going to lose a little bit of muscle. Yeah. Um, and then there's some interesting studies that have been coming out that especially for women, if they go on something that's more than a 250 calorie deficit, their body freaks out because it basically causes them to increase their fat stores and they might end up gaining weight as a result to a super high caloric deficit. And the reasoning behind this is basically that their body understands that at any point in time they might become pregnant and they might have to support that other child growing within them. And so this can cause a lot of problems if she doesn't have the calorie stores within her own body. Mm -hmm. And so we have found that 
anything more than a 250 calorie deficit is going to cause problems for the most yeah. part. And so it's important to understand that you don't want to do this. And I feel like that's one of the biggest errors for individuals who don't know necessarily the science or don't yeah. have a background in dieting. They think, oh, well, if I cut 500 calories, I can get there a lot faster. Yeah. First off, you may get there a lot faster. Second off, you're going to be miserable. Yeah. And, and playing into that based on personal experience, one thing like – you'd be surprised by what the difference of one pound a week looks like. I know like for a lot of people, especially like at my size, I weigh right around, I bounce between 210, 215 regularly in a healthy range, sometimes under that most times. Um, but with one pound a week difference, especially when you're talking about just fat, which is the idea here of one pound of fat, not just one pound lost, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised by what that actually looks like. Does that mean that you are going to fluctuate exactly one pound on the scale in a week? No. You're going to fluctuate a lot more. There are going to be some days during that week where you're not even going to think you're losing weight because maybe your water consumption has been high. Um, if your bowel movements aren't 100% regularly and you're weighing yourself at different times during the day, your weight's going to fluctuate based on your food intake and obviously bowel movements. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're changing your weight, right? And if you don't know how to, you know, offer yourself some solace and try and keep with your diet, as far as like the mental game goes, that can be very, very demoralizing if like, because like for me, I fluctuate a pretty, pretty, pretty freaking large amount at, based on the amount of water and food I intake. So I could be literally a difference of maybe four pounds, you know, based on the amount of water and, you know, food intake. And it can be more than that, depending on when my most recent bowel movement is and how much of, you know, that food and water I'm intaking. And so keeping that in mind when you're talking about calorie deficit is really important because, again, when we talk about this entire fitness journey in general, consistency is king. Mm -hmm. And staying consistent at something that is much more easy for you to stick with, even if it's only losing half a pound a week, which is a very, very, very manageable goal, you are going to astonish yourself at, like, the difference in quality, which, uh, you know, 250 calorie deficit, some websites will tell you that's anywhere between a pound and a half pound. Mm -hmm. Most websites err on the side of it being a half pound. But again, it can be more than that depending on, again, we'll talk about it as we go through this episode, quality of calories as well. Yeah. And so, again, assuming that our listeners don't really have a very good basis in dieting or what macronutrients are, I think that it's a good idea to just kind of go through what each of the macronutrients have as a good function and also what their caloric um, representation is. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, protein and carbohydrates are just four calories per, um, per gram. gram. And so that's just the baseline. And then fat is nine calories per gram. Um, right. Now, protein is the most filling and complex macronutrient. And it's one of the well, it is the least likely macronutrient to be converted to something else. And so usually you hear about this whole, there is a certain amount of protein where if you consume more than that, you're just going to poop it out. And the literature has kind of shown that that is true. Eating more, more than, I think, about 40 grams of protein in a meal, any more than that, and it's, you're it's cause your body going to really, end up just kind of throwing yeah. it away because your body can't really handle that much more. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. as a dieting tool, it can still be helpful to increase your protein intake just because if you eat more protein, it's hard to eat other stuff because Definitely. it is very filling. 
Um, and so there's tools like that. Just understand that when it comes to building muscle, it's kind of like if you show up to a work site and you're like, well, here's all this material body um, to build this building. Why can't you build it faster? And it's like, well, the workers still have to build and they only have so much time to build in a day. And so you giving us all these materials that we don't need for two months isn't going to fix anything. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. Um, you then have fat, which again, nine calories per gram. And I feel like, especially American culture is very demonizing of fat. Um, there was especially this kind of whole tirade against fat in almost the nineties where everything was anti-fat. Yeah. Especially with the whole, like, you know, the McDonald's supersize me type. Uh, I, I remember we, like we got the, the ass end of it mm-hmm. in school, early school, because, you know, in middle school, they were making us watch the Super Size Me movie about McDonald's, blah, blah, blah. You can't sustain off McDonald's. I don't think any person with a normal amount of fucking brain function thought that you could sustain healthy <laughs> living off eating fucking Big Mac every day. Yeah. But I could be crazy thinking that. Um, even as a kid, I thought that was honestly ridiculous. Um, and again, it was against the – when you see the public demonizing something specifically and, and – if you're wondering what that is right now, it's carbohydrates. Most mm-hmm. of these fat diets we're going to talk about are anti-carb and not like – they don't tell you to mediate or regulate something. They just t- yeah. It's bad. And so when it comes to stuff like that, you've got to wonder, again, buyer beware. Mm-hmm. You've got to wonder what they're trying to sell you on instead of what they're telling you is wrong. And that that's a key component to all of the fitness industry because people try to sell you on something – by telling, by demonizing something else, as opposed to just saying, "Look, this is like a lightly better alternative. It's better by you know, yeah. blah 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 amount." You know, and we also really like to simplify things, yeah. especially just as human beings. And so, if we can say that, well, saturated, unsaturated fats, one of them is bad. Well, they all have to be bad then. And right. so, this kind of progresses to where it's like, well, I, I don't want to have to put in the work of identifying if it's bad or not for me. So I'll just cut everything out. And you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But fat is actually key for brain function. Most of your brain is fatty. And so it makes sense that you need to consume fat in order to make sure that your brain is operating at top notch. Um, It's key for long-term energy. It really helps with thermoregulation. This makes sense. And you can talk to many bodybuilders, especially operating in that super low body fat percentage range. And one of their biggest complaints is they're always cold or always hot. Yeah. You know, part of that is their body cannot thermoregulate. There is not enough fat for them to stay warm yeah. in the winter and for them to be somewhat cool in the summer. Yeah, it's one of those things for anyone that's like it's like having a house without insulation in it. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can't you can't have a house maintain its temperature very well without this insulating factor, you know, something to it. It's the reason why they put, you know, cold drinks in styrofoam cups or hot drinks in styrofoam cups. Styrofoam is a great insulator and it retains the temperature. If you, you know, you'll see the difference when you have like a plastic cup where it's condensating down the side, it's not staying cold or it's not staying hot. It's one of those things. You need this thermal regulator in your body to make you stay healthy, much less, you know, feel okay in different temperatures. Mm -hmm. And you also need fats for hormone control. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of this is also because there are a lot of key micronutrients that are found in fat as well. Um, and if you get any type of liquid supplement, usually it's distilled in extra virgin olive oil, yeah. which extra virgin olive oil on its own is a very key healthy fat that a lot of people should be taking, especially if you are Alzheimer um, prone or any other 
uh, major risks. Yeah. As well as there are some micronutrients which are only soluble in fat. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, vitamin B12, and there's some others uh, mm-hmm. for specifics-wise, but they're only fat-soluble as opposed to, you know, water-soluble, which means when you start cutting out this factor, you're going to start lo- losing certain micronutrients and the ability to even digest them. Not much, like even if you took a supplement with a minimum, your body be like, I really just don't know what to do with this. I can't really implement it in the way I'm supposed to, because mm-hmm. you didn't give me any of my, you know, solvent agent, solving agent, you know, yeah. here. So, and it's very important to kind of extrapolate that point to all of our macronutrients. Mm-hmm. And every macronutrient has their own specific micronutrients that are tied to them. Yeah. Most of the amino acids are most prevalently found in protein, and I think yeah. there's two or three that are only found in protein. Yeah. Um, and when you go to something like carbohydrate, a lot of your vitamins and minerals are found in carbohydrates, um, and which is our next macronutrient. So again, carbohydrates, only four calories per gram. Now, these are often short-term energy-focused macronutrients. They don't fill you up necessarily in the same way as like a protein will. They aren't super satiating. They are made to be converted to glucose, basically, which is the primary energy source in the body. Uh, carbohydrates often are associated with making your food sweet and they again are very simple energy storage and so if someone is super lethargic all the time sometimes that's actually associated with this low blood sugar and one of the easiest ways for them to fix that is just by consuming a very small amount of carbohydrates and that low blood sugar is fixed yeah um it's also very important to understand that carbohydrates aren't really bad for you um there's just this really big difference between something like a processed uh, food like Cheetos that's super <laughs> high, prevalent in carbohydrates and a salad, which, again, is super prevalent in carbohydrates. It's just the quality of the carbohydrates yeah. is different. Yeah, and, uh, again, like the reason they can sit down and a lot of these diets can sit down and demonize carbohydrates is because the only thing in high fructose corn syrup is carbohydrates, mm-hmm. and the only thing in all these sweet things is carbohydrates out of all of these you know, out of these three macronutrients the cheapest one to get your hands on is carbohydrates right mm-hmm. it's in every food it makes up bread it's it's l- literally what sugar is sugar it, sugar in any form is a carbohydrate you know from your most basic glucose chains to your high polysaccharides mm-hmm. they are glucose or not glucose they are um they're carbohydrates and essentially you just need to be aware that Anytime you eat something, majority of it, if it's a normal food anywhere, is probably really dense in carbohydrates. And so when it comes to analyzing your diet, if you're wanting to cut carbs, you need to make sure you're cutting the, you know, quick, like processed carbs. You mm-hmm. know, and That's very simple. And we'll talk about that as we're going along. But that's important is to analyze the quality of your calories. It's not just so cut and dry. Like there's protein in, you know, ramen noodles, but... You don't sit here and think, wow, I'm getting some protein in with these ramen noodles. Some people would almost call those negligible negligible amount of protein, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, any amount of, you know, carbohydrates in a steak, right? You're not going to sit here and go, oh, three, like three carbohydrates and I'm cutting carbs. I can't, I, you're not going to sit here because these aren't like, it's different. It's not the same thing. While, we, while we're able to generalize and say a tree is a tree, they're not part of the same family. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like... It, it, they're similar, but like they're not really the same thing. And also another reason why carbohydrates have been demonized recently is because of their link to spiking insulin. Mm-hmm. And um, 
there's kind of this brand new terminology called brain fog, which is really scary. You know, it's yeah. like this whole idea of if I eat too many carbs, I won't be able to think right or my thinking will be slower. And while that is true, it's really mostly true for these processed um, carbohydrates and these processed foods that you are yeah. eating in large quantities. But no one has ever really complained about brain fog after eating like a healthy salad with yeah. no, none of the bullshit on it. No one's really complained about brain fog after eating like pineapple and watermelon. Um, the yeah. the people who are complaining about brain fog are generally the people who have eaten like twelve Big Macs and a giant thing of French fries. Yeah, you know. And so again, looking at the quality of your food is almost more important than looking at what the food's made out of at times. Yeah, um, and just stop putting bullshit in your body. Yeah. Um, and, like, we can look at calorically dense foods, right? And you're going to find that some of the things that are in this list are considered healthy and some of them are not, right? So candy and chips are calorically dense, mainly because they're processed foods. And almost yeah. every processed food is calorically dense. You have pastries and cakes, which are calorically dense. You then have oils, dairy, fatty meats, nuts, sugary drinks, and condiments that are all calorically dense. And... I like to point out oils are calorically dense because they're mostly fat. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is like when you can cram, you know, 125% more calories per gram than you can in any other food source, it's going to be higher in calories, especially when you're talking about volume of food, which is a lot of times the issue. A lot mm -hmm. of times some people have an issue with volume of food when it comes to eating healthy. They'll start eating healthy, but then the volume of food they intake is way too high, and so they still gain weight Yeah. when we're talking about losing weight. And, you know, sometimes the other is true when people are trying to put on weight, like the bulk, like people bulking for the gym. A lot of times they'll eat these very, very complex foods, right, which satiates you really quickly, mm -hmm. and so they just can't get enough calories in without feeling like they're just going to throw up all the time. Yeah, and, like, if you do a quick Google search, search you'll find olive oil being composed of 119 calories per uh tablespoon yeah which is a shit ton of calories it is but you also understand that if you're using much more than a tablespoon on like a stir fry um your stir fry is going to be real oily Greasy, so literally yeah like understand that there are a lot of times where you know maybe even though oils are super um calorically dense you don't need a lot of them um Again, like you can enjoy your dessert. Just don't eat a lot of dessert. Have yeah. one piece of cake. Um, something that I have found personally, um, you know, satisfying and that works really well in my own life is I bake. Yeah. And so I know what I'm putting in my body. But also if I only eat sweets that I bake, I'm not eating that many sweets because I have to put in the work to bake. Right. Um, and so I think that there are some strategies and some ideas that you can put into this. But it's also very important to understand what the most popular calorically dense foods are so that when you start looking at a fad diet, you can be like, okay, I understand where this is going. You're just making me cut out all these calorically dense foods. Right. You're you're telling me to swap any red meats for, you know, leaner white meats and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, telling me to cut down on the oil, swap to a more light, you know, something that might even not be healthy for me, but there's just less calories in it. And it's it's kind of like when a diet tells you, all right, stop drinking normal soda. Drink diet soda instead. Mm -hmm. The moment you hear them tell you to swap normal sugars, right, even if it's high fructose corn syrup, for these, you know, artificial sweeteners with zero calories, you can partially disregard some of what they say. Because yeah. 
if that is a bullshit point, right? You, you should just cut it out, right? When yeah. it comes to soda and stuff like that, you know, it's unhealthy for you. Mm-hmm. And so it's dysregulating your insulin anyway, right? It's yeah. just less calories. And it's also, in my opinion, one of the worst parts of this whole diet soda movement is it has really not done anything to fix our relation to sugar and yeah. our relation to sweetness. Because even if you are not necessarily getting the insulin spike of like 32 grams or 33 grams of sugar going into your body, you're still not detraining your impulse of, I want something sweet. Right. And so for a lot of people, they find that like if they go on to diet soda, if they go back to regular soda, it does like their habits haven't changed. Yeah. They haven't detrained themselves off soda. If I burn real clean for like a couple months and I say no soda, no no like sweet drinks, and I go back to drinking a soda, soda tastes like shit. Yeah. Um, and one of the biggest things that people don't understand is there's caffeine in soda. Um, knowing where caffeine is in foods is very important because caffeine is somewhat addictive. It builds habits. And yeah. so the first time you drink something with caffeine or the first time you eat something with caffeine, you might not like. And caffeine is bitter. But the more you associate that thing with eating – that caffeine is just going to push that right into where, oh, I need yep. this every day. Um, and so I think that now we can kind of go into some of the more popular fad diets and break down exactly what they're doing yep. and understanding the theories behind them. Um, the first fad diet that I have on this list is uh, vegetarian, which is probably the most popular diet out there. Um, I'd say it's definitely more popular than these other ones we got yeah. listed. and. I, I think one of the biggest reasons is for some people it is a moral or religious um, yep. basis. And I think that it's important to respect, you know, what someone believes. Yep. But at the same time, for those people who are doing this purely for diet, um, we shouldn't be able to break this down and understand why. Um, so one of the biggest reasons for vegetarianism is kind of this volumetric theory. And so the idea is is that you're going to eat a bunch of foods that tend to take up more space but actually have less calories. Um so if you think about an apple, apples are huge. I can get a giant honey crisp. It's probably only going to be like 90 calories. Yeah. And it's mostly made of water. Yep. I think if I remember correctly, it's like 98%. Yeah. Something um, like and so if you think about that and you extrapolate that to most fruits and vegetables, a lot of fruits and vegetables are water. Yeah. And not a lot of calories. Some of the only caloric negative foods are yeah. fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Mushrooms and celery. Mushrooms. Yep. Um. And so also something else that vegetarian diets tend to do is they tend to reduce a lot of the fat content in a diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And it even has a chance of removing a lot of the protein content in a diet. Um, Those individuals who I'd say are most successful on a vegetarian diet, they end up looking really lean. Um, They don't tend to have a bunch of muscle, but they do tend to have this kind of lean look about them. And part of that is because their protein goals or needs are usually being met but not exceeded and they don't really consume a lot of fat and if they are trying to fill themselves up on like salads it's very hard to do that and get a kind of caloric yeah. surplus i i'd say with the, uh, when you're talking about the vegetarian diet this is a doable thing for mm-hmm. a lot of people especially when you're considering like potentially a vegetarian diet where you're still intaking you know milk eggs and uh, animal product, but not animal flesh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in some cases, I guess fish. I don't 
like I know that's pescatarian, but I know some yeah. people say they're vegetarian but still eat fish, whatever. Um, it's just you get you really start treading into dangerous territory when you start having uh, goals on moving your body weight and body composition after you've hit this stasis point, I'd like to call it, where mm -hmm. you've reached essentially how much fat you're going to have because of your total calorie intake and you've reached your muscle capacity because anything else is outside of even the amount of the amount of protein you're eating is only the maintenance for what muscle you do have not for any excess to build or any excess to repair right um and i i know that a lot of people get really defensive about vegetarianism but it's just a lot a lot of the diet is saying let's replace um you know these foods that we know are healthy for us with other things and I'm not out there demon. I'm not here demonizing people that do it for, again, moral, religious reasons. Yeah. But when it comes to talking logistics on your ability to be functional, especially when we're a fitness podcast and we are also the the big component is not only dieting but hitting the gym and you know essentially gaining muscle, you know, losing excess fat. Um, you just like again, you just don't have like a whole lot of mobility behind you when you're talking about vegetarian. You just don't have a lot of excess, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you need excess to move either direction, really, right? If you're wanting to lose, one thing that I do believe is when you're wanting to lose weight, you do need a little bit of excess energy if you're training really hard to lose weight mm -hmm. as opposed to dieting really strictly to lose weight. And I know some people don't agree with that idea, but it still does work. Um, and then again, obviously, if you're trying to gain mass, you need to intake additional. And again, when you're talking about volumetric theory, you're full. Yep. Your body is full of food. So your body's like, we've hit the checkbox. We're good. We don't need more food. We can't fit more food, mm -hmm. right? So it's like you got to start replacing some of these things if you're wanting to move outside of that. And another cool theory about why vegetarianism seems to work so well and something that I think will be very interesting as we kind of create these vegetarian options is right now, vegetarianism kind of removes some of the more um, destructive carbs that are socially, uh, socially like paired and almost obligatory with certain meals. Like if I have a cheeseburger, I mean the bun. Yeah. Newsflash grains are not great for you, yeah. especially in high quantities. And so part of being vegetarian is kind of removing, you know, the bun because you're not having the beef patty in the first place. Um, and so that also is going to reduce their total, um, you know, caloric intake, but also it's going to slightly increase the quality of their food. Right. Another thing that vegetarians don't consume a lot of is, well, they get zero amount of the, uh, amino acid carnosine. Yep. Um, now that amino acid can be produced by histidine and beta alanine, which can be found in plants, um, primarily soy, but they're also often going to be lower on the sodium scale. Yep. And so if you know what sodium is, that's salt, you know, it basically is one of the biggest things that helps your body retain water. But yep. if you lose a lot of water, you lose weight. <laughs> right. Um, so that's another thing where vegetarianism can kind of almost deceive you into thinking that you've lost a bunch of weight. Yep. Um, if at any point in time you realize that you have lost a crap ton of weight in like one or two day period, check your sodium levels, yep. figure out a way. Even if that just means go and, you know, pour some salt into water and drink that and maybe drink a couple Gatorades 
Yeah. Because it's always dangerous whenever sudden change happens to your body. Whether or not you think levels. it's a good thing. And especially your sodium levels. There are people that go to the hospital for instant changes yeah. or quick changes in their sodium levels. This is that that's a game you don't want to yeah. play. You don't want to play, you know, it's like a diabetic playing with their sugar levels. You mm -hmm. don't want to mess with it. You know, it's one of those things. If you are prone in any way to this quick fluctuation that's, you know, really, really harsh on your body potentially, you need to be aware of these things. And, and again, knowing more about yourself in advance to choosing these diets or being very, very careful as you're moving on and into these diets. I mean, again, be self-aware. Be self-aware and you will learn more about what is acceptable for you and your body. Yeah, now that we've talked about vegetarianism, we're going to go to the complete other side of cutting out a almost a key macro, uh, macronutrient, and we're going to talk about carnivore and keto. Now, carnivore is kind of keto's really extreme cousin. Yep. Um, keto says we're going to be low carb. We're going to try and keep our body in ketosis. Carnivore says fuck you carbs, and you're really only going to get some carbohydrates from like meat. And yeah. usually organ meats will have a little bit of carbs in yep. them just because there were probably some vegetables that were sitting around in that animal's um, system while it got killed. And you're going to absorb some residual yeah. carbs there. But realistically, carnivore and keto are no and low carb. Um, and the whole idea behind this is it's going to force ketosis. And ketosis is this process in which your body converts excess protein into energy. This is not something that your body will naturally do for the hell of it, which means that unless you are basically um, restricting yourself and cutting off a lot of your available energy due to carbs, your body's not just going to go and say, hey, I have excess protein. I'm going to convert it to energy. Um, yep. Usually your body's response to excess protein is poop it out Yep. or get rid of it through another means. Um. Now, there are a couple key strategies here other than forcing ketosis that are important. Um, meat is really filling. And so, again, if you are full, you aren't going to want to eat more. And yep. so if a lot of these people who do carnivore often eat lamb, beef, you know, organ meats. And organ meats especially are kind of one of these things where they're almost a chore to eat for a lot of people. Yep. They're not really appealing. And so if something's not appealing to you, it's going to quiet your appetite. And so even if you have to, or even if you get used to eating these meats, the social stigma there might also help in cutting back how much you consume. Um, supposedly, there's evidence there that carnivore and keto um, have entrepreneurial benefits as well in that they kind of flatten out your energy curve over the day and yep. they keep everything really stable. Um, there has been some science there showing insulin causing brain fog and other things, but it's really too early for that science to be conclusive in any way. Yep. Um, and it is important, I think, to note that carnivore is not something that the average person um, really should be consuming. Yep. Most individuals who are on a carnivore diet who are popular in mainstream media don't recommend it. <laughs> um, yeah. You have people like the Petersons who have um, autoimmune disorders that carnivore seems to help for whatever reason. Yep. They don't recommend it. Um, the Liver King recommended it. Kind of in his sort own of way. his what his but like, again when you're talking about people in the space like that carnivore MD liver king yeah they don't suggest carnivore as you may think of it carnivore with just you know just eating meats and just eating organ meats mm -hmm. they also include if you look at what the liver king eats he eats a shit ton of potatoes yep um 
He also eats onions, avocado. Um, they're also including other things in their bone marrow, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then the carnivore MD explicitly says you need to eat a lot of fruits, a lot mm-hmm. of fruits, also including things like maple syrup, raw milk, raw honey, all yep. these things, making sure that you do have these carbohydrate sources, which is what these, uh, I guess, we're talking about two people here, Liver King and Carnivore MD. What they're suggesting is a lot different from the fad yeah. uh, carnivore that we're trying to trying to hit on here. Yep, They would almost be more concerned with our next diet, paleo. Yes, paleo. Um, and so paleo, the idea is, is if you didn't eat it ancestrally, you shouldn't be eating it today. Yep. And so it's really saying no processed foods. The foods that it uh, proposes as we should be eating as part of almost an ancestral lifestyle yep. to kind of pull from Liver King was fish, lean meats, fruit, non-starchy veggies, and nuts. Yep. Um, the non-starchy veggies specifically is kind of like don't eat grains, don't eat bread. Um, and also importantly here is no dairy products. I think personally the reason for this is because a lot of people even today are lactose intolerant. Yep. Um, lactose intolerance is basically common among every other mammal. It is something that humans kind of combated specifically in the historical documentation. It seems that what happened was you had uh, basically places that were prone to starvation. And so humans would be incredibly resourceful and not only use their cows for meat, but also, you know, drink the milk. They wouldn't just use their goats for meat. They would drink the milk. And so this over time has led to, um, certain individuals being able to keep their lactase and no longer have this extreme adverse reaction to lactose. Um, however, most individuals still are to some degree lactose intolerant. Yep. And so paleo seems to also help to try and combat against that. Yep. Um, another strategy of paleo is to get their carbs from non-sugary or starchy foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this kind of does two things. One, it means that a lot of the carbs that you are getting your food from are not extremely calorically dense. It also means that your foods that you're getting your carbs from serve multiple purposes. Yep. You know, you're getting fruits and veggies. Well, they help a lot with your micronutrients. They're going to keep you from having any severe deficiencies. And they're also going to do better at making sure that your insulin doesn't spike. Yeah. Um, it's important to note that meat is still part of this diet. Yeah. Which... In my opinion, something like paleo for a lot of people is pretty doable. Yeah. I, I think that one of the biggest things that you have to understand is make sure the diet is fun for you. Yeah, yeah, to and an extent. Yeah. What I think that you can make any diet fun for you and all you have to do is understand some good recipes. You got to find something that you enjoy eating. It's n- no diet should ever just be this kind of chicken and broccoli, yeah. you know, that the bodybuilders constantly sh- throw in your face you don't need to be miserable in order to lose weight right um you just maybe have to do a bit of homework yeah. and we're talking and when we're talking about paleo another thing they're really able to sell you on as far as getting into paleo is gluten-free mm-hmm. i mean uh, avoiding these starchy sugary foods gets that gluten out of this food you're not eating these grains which where gluten is prevalent and so for a lot of people who have you know maybe some sort of like gluten allergy a little bit of gluten allergy maybe they just react to it a little bit worse maybe they are like very allergic to it and you know they're to a level comparable to someone that is very lactose intolerant um you're talking about a diet that is really inclusive to you and that's that's kind of the whole point is paleo is supposed to be a human diet it's a diet for 
explicitly built based on the way humans are in, you know, the way we work, have worked, and, you know, in their minds will be working. Yep. Um, it is important also to note that while we have kind of understood that gluten is not necessarily a necessary micronutrient, um, there are some reports showing that people do seem to have this minor withdrawal from gluten, yep. um, showing like nausea, dizziness, and other factors. And so we don't know if this is because of a withdrawal effect or if it's actually a nutrient deficiency. Yep. And so it is something that you need to understand. Um, and I think that that just kind of goes back to most micronutrients are important. Yep. Most things that we eat are important. It's, it's all about moderation. Quantity. It's all about quantity. And so cutting things out are usually not the best strategy. Um, and our last diet is actually talking about cutting things out, but not food. Um, intermittent fasting is kind of a more common and new way of dieting that a bunch of doctors have kind of settled on actually being able to work and helping their uh, patients lose weight. Yeah. Um, and intermittent fasting basically reduces your feeding window. That's all it does. And cultures have intermittently fasted forever. Um, and so you can play some cool metabolic tricks with this intermittent fasting as well. Um, one of my favorite, it, which has been espoused from like uh, Andrew Huberman, was essentially you can work out during an anabolic window after a fasted workout, you know, and so basically you your glycogen stores are really low at this point and it's going to cause your body to want to gain energy from your fat stores. And then after um, the workout, you consume protein and you eat. And then at that point in time, you are replenishing your energy stores, but not until after your body has taken away some from what you had stored already. And so this can help you lose weight. Yep. It can also help you build some muscle. And this is one of the only times in which the anabolic workout actually matters or anabolic window. You know, this whole idea of, oh, I have to eat, get some protein and carbs after a workout. Right. That study was done on who, individuals who were intermittently fasting at the time yep. of the study. And so that is something that you do want to understand is that if you are working out, you do need to um, replenish your uh, food stores after a workout, especially if you are intermittently fasting and especially if this is coming to like the very end of your fast. Yep. Um, but one of the main reasons why people lose weight during intermittent fasting is the less time you have to eat, the less time there is to overeat. You can only consume so many calories within a certain number of hours. And so if your window is down to like eight hours, yep. you know, that's usually going to factor into about two to three meals. And if you're on three meals, those meals are probably going to be a lot smaller than the three average meals that you would have if you ate at like eight, 12, and eight. Um, it can also fix or destroy your relationship with food, which I think is one of the biggest risks here is um, it can help you to understand the difference between appetite and hunger, but it can also just make you really hate food. Yeah. Um, again, there's a difference between appetite and hunger. Appetite is when you feel like you should eat. Often it's more culturally um, enforced. It's kind of like this idea of, well, I always eat at 8 o'clock in the morning, and so every time around 8 o'clock, your body's almost circadian rhythm is going, okay, I'm hungry. But no, you're not really hungry at times. Um, 
And so hunger is when you are actually hungry, when you are nutrient deficient and your body is going, hey, I'm hungry. Um, Intermittent fasting has capabilities to help you understand these signals, understand what all you need to do. However, Mm -hmm. at the same time, it can cause these almost love-hate relationship uh, with the food you're eating. And it's very important for you to understand that nothing is the enemy (laughs) when it comes to food. Um, Don't demonize your food work with your food use it as a tool yep yeah i'd say generally that is a it's a very important mindset to have about food is because like when you start demonizing food then you get into like you start delving into a realm where you're really not able to eat and you become like a chronic weight loss person right or you become a chronic weight gain person yeah potentially you know it just depends but you just like and not having a good relationship with food is not a good thing. It's just one of those things. It's it's not going to be beneficial to you. It's gonna. It might make you hate eating, um, or worse, hate yourself mm-hmm. because you've got to eat, right? So you just hate that you have to do that. You know, you just don't want to set yourself up in a situation like that. And with all these diets and a lot of these things, when it comes to dieting, a lot of the science behind them is potentially skewed. Mm-hmm. funded by companies that are trying to sell you some food. Um, so I'd say just be wary generally and try to make sure that if you make it make sense to yourself, right? Make the diet make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Read the science, read the literature on it, make it make sense to you. And then once you do that and you follow it, if it is not making you feel better after a month, what, a month, a month, maybe upwards of three months, depending on some of these things, you need to figure out what it is about that diet that is not working for you, right? Mm -hmm. And again, because a lot of the science on this stuff is not set in stone, and despite the marketing campaigns and things you'll see on TV, TikTok, all these things where people are demonizing certain things and promoting certain things, the science is not necessarily set. There's just, you know, a couple of studies that are maybe starting on them, a couple of studies that are you know, that have come out, but the studies aren't like really replicable or there's certain factors we just not, we're not sure of. It's a lot of things like that. And dieting is one of those sciences where there's a lot of vetted interest, interest by a lot of food companies to make the science say a certain thing. Just beware of it. And so, you know, anything we've said specifically could be wrong in the future is what we're saying, but we're just generally saying, be aware and be aware of what there is to change and what, uh, how these diets do make you feel personally. So, And I think that that's one of the biggest points of this episode is just to point out that, you know, understand enough to know when someone's trying to bullshit you or understand enough to know that, okay, this person's saying this, I don't necessarily trust it. Let's go look into the research and understand that almost all research on food is paid for by a company who produces that food. That's just how scientific research funding is working today. And so there's always going to be a little bit of bias there. Um, And so just understand this, you know, a lot of individuals who are listening to this are probably in college. And that's one of the biggest things that you learn in college is you got to think for yourself and you got to understand where that money goes. You got to understand your biases and you got to understand how to learn, how to research. A big part of dieting is doing the research, doing the work, Figuring out what works best for you. And always remember to use the scientific method and only change one variable at a time so you know exactly what's going on. Yep. And with that being said, we'll see you guys next time. See you.